the Small Queendom Podcast, episode 62. You're listening to the Small Queendom Podcast with me, Leah Graham, wellness advocate, self-healer, entrepreneur, and Enneagram 3. Tune in each week for holistic personal development and wellness, the Enneagram, and other lifestyle topics. Basically, I like to talk to people, try things, and share here to help you rule your queendom with ease. If you like the show, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with a friend. Hi, welcome to the show. I am Leah Graham. If you're new around here, I'm so glad that you would join me today. Sometimes when I'm opening up the show with these types of introductions, I literally have this picture of my head that I'm going to my front door and I'm opening it up and I'm inviting you to come into my world. So (laughs) welcome to my virtual world of the Small Queen of Podcast. I love being able to have conversations that feel natural and just organic, but also leave you with something to take away. And I feel like today's episode is all about that. You are going to meet my friend, Jessica Lynn. Now, Jessica is a mom of four. She has twins and her twins were a really key part of her story. And you're going to hear her (laughs) talk about the circumstances around that. Um, But Jessica does such a great job reinventing herself when her life took quite a turn. Uh, She spent her pretty much her early life traveling the world um, with her parents and now she lives nearby me in the mountains of Appalachia. She is formally educated in philosophy and economics (laughs) which is a funny combination because now she is a brilliant brand strategist and truly just makes people look good. And so today's episode is very conversational, but about, you know, a third to halfway through, Jessica is going to get into some nitty gritty branding and insider strategies. These are going to be key for you if you're already online in some amount or fashion, if you're considering being online, if you have like a small website, maybe a Squarespace site, even if you're a maker on Etsy, I think we can all tune into our brand a little bit more. And Jessica is an expert on this. And there are some really great uh, little nuggets that you are going to take from the show. I I wish you could meet Jessica in real life because she is absolutely fabulous. Um, She is an Enneagram 3, and so she pretty much does it all. And she is a wonderful person. I am blessed to be able to call her my friend, and I'm excited for you to meet her. So let's get to Jessica. All right. What is your favorite place you have ever lived, Jessica? Budapest. Oh, tell me more. So I'm not sure if it was life stage or actually the place, right? Because sometimes you can conflate the two. But in this case, I mean, it's just a very beautiful city. It's got a lot of that old world European charm. When we moved there, they had just come out from under the communist rule. So they were still pulling down the statues and toppling the red stars off the top of the buildings. Um, It was just a beautiful time to be there. It has, it's a place with all four seasons. So it has that very nice, you know, lived in feel to it. You know, if you go in autumn, it's autumn. And I think we had just moved from Asia where it was extremely just hot, 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 hot all the time. (laughs) Yes. 
So that was just a really nice thing to experience, to actually have a winter, to, to experience a spring and all of just the beauty that comes with that. And also there was something, because I was a teenager, there was something very comforting about looking like everyone else. When you live in Asia and you're a white person, you just stick out. There's nothing you can do about it. You're just walking around constantly just different. And even though I wasn't Hungarian, nobody could tell that without talking to me. And there, there was just a really nice thing to experience as a teenager. How long were you in Asia? And then how long were you in Hungary? And why were you there? Um, I was in the Philippines for, I believe it was about five years. And I lived in Budapest for six. Um, during that time, I did a lot of traveling um, just all throughout Europe. And I ended up um, for part of that time actually living in Bath, um, going to finishing school there. But I was there because my father was originally he was in the Air Force. And then after he retired from the Air Force, he transitioned out of that into Christian education. So he was a missionary of sorts who was working in um, creating schools, setting up schools, things of that nature. So I was just along for the ride. <laughs> wow. Do you uh, do you look back now and do you like that you had an international experience so young or was it hard for you when you moved to the States and kind of re-entered? It was very, very, very difficult moving back to the States. It was a time of extreme trauma for me. Um, I moved alone back to the States. I was 17 years old. I had a very strong British accent. I really struggled to learn about American culture. I had not seen any of the movies that others had seen. The cultural references didn't make sense to me. And I really learned a lot of lessons the hard way, but I mean, I didn't even know how to open a milk carton. <laughs> I had never seen one. So I used to go and chop the entire top off because I could not navigate that tricky mechanism. And then wow. I would just pour the milk out of the top, the topless carton. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then I would put, you know, like cellophane or something over the top of it. <laughs> I mean, as a teenager, it's amazing to think about how much cultural references make up like the air that you breathe. So I bet that was incredibly difficult. Yeah. Music, movies, uh, culture, bands, just everything. I was just completely unprepared. And even just small things, the way that I dressed and the way that I spoke was extremely different. And so then trying to be a freshman in college and going through that, people would say, okay, well, where'd you go to high school? And everybody would go around the circle and basically, you know, Science Hill, you know, Chill Howie, like local than me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I graduated from the Tree of Life Academy. Blah, blah, blah. You know, people are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so by my second year, when people would ask me, where did you go to high school? I would say Science Hill. Oh, just so like you didn't have to worry about all the questions, right? Yeah, I just did not want to be the freak show. So how long did it, how long do you feel like it took you to kind of integrate or maybe you never felt like you've fully uh, lost that Euro influence and, you know, like what did you originally go into in college? Because I mean, spoiler alert, you are what I love to call like graphic designer, brand strategist, like tech extraordinaire. You do all the things and you're incredible at it, but that wasn't your original goal, right? No, actually, I had no goal. Um, I 
just like most 17, 18 years old, you know, you just have no idea what you want to do. You think you have an idea, but you really don't. Um, so I made the incredibly intelligent decision of having a double major in economics and um, philosophy, which made me the perfect candidate to be Socrates driving the Frito-Lay truck. <laughs> so I had absolutely no employability and no marketable skills whatsoever. <laughs> so I was basically just like a, a really super intellectual wonk, um, but I could do nothing. But, you know, I was saved by the fact that I was poor. And when you're poor, you have to learn how to do something. So I waited tables and was a bartender. And uh, that was my uh, amazing set of marketable skills. That's awesome. So, um, I, you know, it seems like nowadays, it, it seems like people have multiple careers now. You know, my dad worked in the same place for 30 years and he did the same thing, right? And now it just seems the, um, the world has changed so much. I originally went to school and studied music and I was a choir teacher and now I'm in wellness and the podcasting world. And that just seems to be the norm, right? Um, so I would love to talk to you a little bit about what you, what your first career was and how you made a pivot to what you're doing now. Because I, I feel like when I talk to a lot of women and a lot of moms, maybe what they did in their twenties is completely irrelevant to where they're at now. And maybe they're wanting to make a big change. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting because, um, obviously my twins, that was the main driver for that because I was very, very active in the fitness world for a long time and just kind of teaching fitness classes. I was also, you know, an office manager and just kind of doing those types of things. I never really had a career though before this one. I was really just kind of doing jobs. I think I was wanting a career in fitness. That was really what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a personal trainer. I thought about maybe even getting into franchising with gyms and, uh, you know, things of that nature. I was really, really interested in that. And I really enjoyed it. I liked working with people to help create this physical transformation. It was almost a spiritual experience, right? To see them go through this process. It was about so much more than just physical fitness. Um, but then, you know, I, um, had an unexpected pregnancy. <laughs> so so okay. that's what, that's what, that's what caused the shift right there. Okay. So this sounds like a good story and maybe one I've heard before, but I want you to share it here. So how old were, how old were you and kind of tell us about what happened? Okay. So I was 32 years old and I was very, very fit. Like this was probably the period of my life that I had really found this like magical, uh, you know, this magical combination of fitness and diet. And I wasn't drinking any alcohol. I wasn't eating like anything. I was literally doing, I don't know if you've ever seen those spoofs on women who are on diets where they're like weighing everything on a little bitty scale. Oh no. Like, I was doing all of that stuff. Right. And like my husband hated it. He thought that I looked like a 12 year old boy. <laughs> Like it was this like, but anyway, I loved it. I was like, yes, I'm so fit. Like women would stop me in the grocery store to talk to me about my biceps. So no way. Like, yes. So I was like very, very fit. I was super proud of myself. I was ready to launch this massive career. So during this period, all of a sudden I just, you know, I, I wasn't really feeling like myself and I thought, man, like something just doesn't feel right. But I really wasn't 
exploring it much because I figured, well, how could anything be wrong with me? I am the paragon of physical fitness. <laughs> <laughs> so here I like, You're just okay. like, look at me. Nothing's wrong with me. I know. How could I possibly, how could anything be wrong? Well, it, something was not necessarily wrong, but anyway, I went in to my um, OBGYN, just had a, you know, it was just time for my annual. So I went in and, um, you know, just going to check the box and get this done for another year. And I'm in there and the doctor's like, hmm, says, um, we're going to, he's, he's kind of making faces, right? And he says, we're going to take you into this other room over here. and We're going to do a quick ultrasound. So of course, immediately I'm thinking I have cancer. I'm dying. Oh like, my gosh. No what? one wants to hear that. No, because he was being very cagey. Like he wasn't saying anything. He just said like, we're going to go in here and do an ultrasound. So I'm thinking like, oh my God, like I have some <laughs> type of malignant tumor or, you know, just all of these like terrible assumptions just going through my head. So in we go into this next room, like, it's this massive room. I, I, why they need it to be so large, but they've got this huge flat panel screen up on the wall. Yes. And I was like, what? So they do this ultrasound and I look up at the screen and I see these two like blipping lights, like blip, 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 blip. And I'm like, two tumors. Oh my God. <laughs> like I'm freaking out, right? Like there's not just one tumor, there's two. But then the doctor says, congratulations, <laughs> you're pregnant with twins. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't just like a little bit pregnant either. I was like almost 12 weeks pregnant. Oh, my gosh. I was like <laughs> hysterical. I don't think they've ever had anyone react the way that I reacted in there. Because Did you go ballistic? I went so crazy on them. And they were like, they, they bring in this other nurse, right? I guess the calming nurse or something. And she comes, bless her heart. I just unloaded on her. I was screaming. I was like, we're going to have to get a mini van. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? I mean, because I already had a son from my first marriage and he was 10 years old. Oh my goodness. You know, my husband and I had a blended family at that time. So we had his son. So we already had two sons, like from our previous relationships. And we were done having children. You're like, I'm already a mother. I'm really happy with what I have. I'm in the best shape of my life. (laughs) Yeah, it was terrible. And I just, you know, it was just such a shock. And, you know, of course, this nurse says to me, well, um, is your husband here with you so he can drive you home? And I said, why would I bring my husband with me for my pap smear? <laughs> like screaming. And then of course, like if my husband would have been there, I probably would have murdered him right on the spot regardless. Yeah. So he's it really the last saved person his you life. wanted to see. Yeah. It saved his life from not being there. But then of course I could not get a hold of anyone on the phone. Nobody. Not my husband, not my mother, nobody. So I go through the entire Rolodex of people I can call to have a meltdown. And I finally get my dad to answer the phone. Oh, no, dear old dad. That was like the worst possible person. You cannot have a meltdown, a female emotional meltdown with your father. There's no reciprocation. Yeah, he just, yeah, there's no way he can understand. No way. No, especially about twins. I mean, that's that's a lot to handle 
anyway, even if you're like ready to have another baby, but to be surprised with twins. Yeah. And it was like the fall. I think it was the close to the end of the year. And so like when they were telling me like, oh, these are your babies are going to be due like in the middle of the summertime. Oh my goodness. You know, so of course I'm freaking out about that too. I was like, I'm going to be rolling around like going to need an air conditioned hamster ball. I'm going to be <laughs> big as a house. <laughs> my whole career just died. Oh, so everyone wants to know, did you have to buy the minivan? Yes. <laughs> Totally. We, we did. We got the Volkswagen one. It was a disaster. Oh my goodness. And so obviously the twins are now, how old are they? They're They're, 10. They're 10. They're 10. And so like, how did you navigate that huge transition and how, how did it actually propel you to where you are now? Well, everyone thinks twins are great in theory, right? But when they show up unannounced and unplanned in your own uterus, it is just such a trauma, like it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. You really don't know what to expect. And then there's all of these weird things that can happen with twins. Like there's disappearing twin syndrome. Like there's, I mean, it's kind of super weird, right? Like, and then I was terrified that they were going to be identical because don't identical twins just make you think of every horror movie you've ever seen. (laughs) Like they're so terrifying, right? Like why they they're weird. They have like weird language. And you know, I was like, I do not want these twins to be identical. Like I was super freaked out about that. You know what? I'm always surprised when I meet someone and it comes out like maybe in an icebreaker se- um session or something, like, oh, I'm a twin. I'm an identical twin. And I'm immediately like looking around. What? You are yeah, like, well, where? Where are they? <laughs> Where's the other one? Oh my gosh, it's so weird. So I was super grateful that they, that obviously both of them were born healthy and, um, you know, they weren't identical, which was great. So one's a boy and one's a girl. So that worked out well. Um, And they were, I was, I was beyond full term with them. Like I went the full 40 weeks. Wow. So, which is remarkable. But anyway, that was probably because I was in such good shape. Right? Yeah, you were in incredible <laughs> shape to begin with. I was like training all those years to carry twins. Um so after they were born, you know, there's just the usual and, and honestly, I have basic amnesia about all of that time because you know, you just get no sleep and the fact that we all survived is truly miraculous. Absolutely. It, all that solidarity to Mothers in general, but definitely mothers of multiples. Um, incredible. Yeah, just I don't even know how how it happened or you know how we all survived, but we did. So it was great. Um, I think around that period of time, I really started thinking like I really just want to work. I need to work from home. Like if I'm going to do this and, and do this right, I need to just figure out a way to work from home. Which at that time, a lot of people were doing it, but they weren't really doing what is happening now, which has been an explosion of online entrepreneurship. That was really not happening at that time. I would say that that has evolved more over the past five years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the explosion of online courses and things like that. So at that point in time, that really was not on my radar. What I decided to do was I had heard about this online medical transcription and I thought, oh, I could do that. You know, I have no medical training whatsoever, but that seems like a good plan. So I went through this 14 month program to become a certified medical transcriptionist. 
And I did. And I hated every second of it. It was such a horrible experience for me trying to do that work and being in the house all the time with these two tiny babies. It was really a very depressing time in my life. I I was still struggling like with the weight um, from the babies. I was trying to make something happen that I was just, it was just a miserable, miserable work experience trying to listen to hours and hours and hours of doctors dictating procedures. I mean, you can imagine just, Oh, that sounds soul crushing. Yeah, it was awful. So I think at some point in there, I just kind of thought like, this is not sustainable. I must do something else. So I had always enjoyed doing just like little design projects for people. Like, you know, I did like a designed a church bulletin or I would do posters for events, stuff like that. Um, and I thought, man, I wonder if there's a way for me to do something like this. So there was an online network at that time. It was called Odesk. And it was basically just a freelance network where people could go on and find clients and make bids on projects. So I started doing that. And at first it was just tiny little things, right? $50 here or there. It, it wasn't anything that I thought, well, I'll be able to build a business out of this. And then I just started getting more and more clients and just started working more and more in that area. And it got to the point where I was making more money doing graphic design, which I love to do, than I was making as a medical transcriptionist. Also during that time, there was the Obamacare transition, which the push for electronic health records really started putting medical transcriptionists out of work. So all of that stuff was happening around the same time anyway. So I just kind of fell into it. And every single time a client would ask me, hey, can you do X? I would just say yes, even if I had no idea what it was. And then I would just, I mean, there were literally times I would be on a call with a client and they would say, can you do this? And I would be Googling it while I was telling them, <laughs> yes, I can do it. <laughs> so you just basically learned as you went, you just got scrappy and started like teaching yourself. Absolutely. Everything I learned, I learned from YouTube tutorials and from the Google. I mean, I think this is such a great example of just being, you know, having a little bit of grit you know, because I think sometimes we can feel helpless, like, oh, I didn't go to school for that. Or, oh, I don't have anyone to teach me how to do this. But what you're saying is you literally like taught yourself one skill at a time and just kept building from there. Absolutely. And when I look back at the stuff that I did at the very beginning, it's horrible. Like, I'm just like, oh God, like it makes me shudder, right? I just hate it. Like the colors are wrong. The font pairings are wrong. The photography is just so terribly stock, you know, I just think, Oh God, like what in the world? But you know, you just, you just have to learn and you just kind of, and, and a lot of it, a lot of graphic design is teaching your eye, right? What looks good and how to put it together. And then some of it is also a little bit of, you know, wizardry in that you're trying to get into a client's head. You're trying to represent them. The best you can, because a lot of times it's really not about your own particular unique aesthetic point of view. It's about the clients. And that is a big challenge that I think 
a lot of designers, that's where they struggle. And if you look at portfolios, you'll see, oh, this, all of this stuff looks the same. And that's because they're designing from their own point of view as opposed to the clients. So maybe they're taking like uh, the idea of, well, it's my art. So I need to be true to myself when really, if you're in this kind of business, you need to do what the client wants. Absolutely. And, it, and sometimes it's hard because you will think to yourself, I do not like this at all, but they love it. And at the end of the day, isn't that what it's about? And that's, and a good brand should always do that. It should represent the person it's meant to represent. Totally. I agree. So I like to describe you as like, you're the person that makes people like look good, you know, and in this world, <laughs> of, like online, you know, and everyone's online, especially if you're in the entrepreneurial space or anything like that, like a lot of times the first impression is what your website looks like or what your social media looks like. Can you give us kind of some of your, maybe some best practices or like good advice for people that they want to make a good impression online? Like what, what actually does that look like and what does it not look like? Okay. Well, what it looks like is consistency. So it's very, very important to find your look early. I think that people use the word branding all the time, but they're, they have this, they don't really know what they're talking about, but branding is the way that you look online. So it's not just a logo. It's not just a color scheme. It is an actual aesthetic overall decision, right? So I think getting really clear on that is one of the first things you do when you're thinking about getting online is really important because that look should carry over from your Instagram grid to your Facebook page. Even if you're not in a position to hire a designer to work with one-on-one, -on -one. at least like get on Pinterest, right? Pull inspiration and imagery or do it the old fashioned way. Get the magazines, cut your images out that you like, put them together on a board, figure out like, what does my font look like? What do, what is my style? You know, am I minimalist? Am I feminine? Do I have like an edge? Do I want pops of neon? Like get really clear on it. Because sometimes the hardest thing to do is to, when you finally get to that point where you're ready to work with a designer and you're ready to have a professional website, then you kind of, your, your business didn't just start there. All of that history of you online is still there. And so you have to kind of go back and clean all that up. But if you start out with a look that you know that you want, even if you're just using things like Canva and Unsplash, then at least you will still have a consistent, cohesive look across platforms, which is really, really important. What is your biggest pet peeve when you um, check out an entrepreneur, maybe that you're thinking about working with or someone that you just have your eye online? Oh, God. Well, if I ever see the scriptina font um, <laughs> on anything... <laughs> There are actual hate websites devoted just to that font. It's so terrible. It, there's something about it that, that I think originally it, it was a free kind of a calligraphy font before calligraphy fonts were read, readily available and everybody was using it. Everybody. Like it was everybody's logo. Every single feminine female entrepreneur online was using it for their logo. So when I see that people are still using that font, I'm instantly like, nope, I'm out. I'm out of this. This is no good. And then just anything that's very, very template-y, 
right? If somebody's using ClickFunnels and they're just using it straight off the template, um, that instantly tells me like, oh, this is no good. And, you know, look, if you land on a website, you've got 12 seconds to catch someone. And once they leave, they're not coming back. So it, it really bothers me when I see websites that are just, there's no thought there because you can have a really nice website without spending a ton of money. You just really need to get really clear on your vision and you need to get rid of jargon on your website. I think that's a big pet peeve too. Like, Hey, we create custom. Yeah. Like we create custom solutions to your problems. What is what that, that even? <laughs> yeah. You've got to be very, very clear with with what you're doing, with what you're selling and with how you're selling it. So what do you think are the first, like the top three things that when someone goes to your website, they should see? They should see what you do, what problem you solve and who you are. Mm, that's good. Jessica, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about um, when you came on the show is we were having a really interesting conversation the other day on the phone. And, you know, with this world and this rise of online entrepreneurs, it is really, really awesome. You have at your fingertips, like every course, every ebook, every tutorial, every mastermind possible. But at what point are those really just like taking your money and not adding value? Because it seems like they are everywhere. So how can we cut through the noise? Well, there's been this explosion of what I like to call the pyramid the pyramid scheme of coaches, right? These are coaches who are coaching people to be coaches that will coach other people to be coaches. Yes. So they're not actually learning anything at all, except just how to be a coach. So the way this works is like this. So they say to you, well, you have an area of expertise and you sit down and you think about it. And after you've paid them 20 grand to help you think about it, then you say, oh, I do have an area of expertise. I am an expert in underwater basket weaving. And they say, fabulous. Now you go out there and you charge people $20,000. You coach them in underwater basket weaving. Now that is actually something that you are doing. Like you, that is a skill and you are teaching people to do something, create something. But that is not what we're seeing happening now. What we're seeing happening now is people are saying, okay, I'm a coach. I'm going to teach you to be a coach and you're going to teach other people to be coaches. So there's no, there's not an actual skill that's being taught. There's no, there's nothing that's being exchanged. So someone will go into this, this experience with a coach and they'll sit down and they'll spend a lot of time talking about their issues and problems. And it's almost a, like a psychiatrist experience. And then at the end of the day, they don't have anything. They don't have a website. They don't have a brand. They don't have anything to offer or to sell. All they've done is managed to spend a lot of money on a coach who just gave them a lot of ideas, but nothing really tangible there. Like you can take all of these online courses, but at the end of the day, what is it that you actually have? Less talking, more doing. So you think that it's better to just like plow forward, teach yourself stuff and stop paying other people to tell you stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think if, well, look, unless you just have an unlimited budget, right? In which case I think you should definitely invest in coaching, pick someone 
that you think is just amazing. You know, let's just use some big names here. Like, okay, I love Amy Porterfield or I love Marie Forleo. Great. Then work with those people, right? Pick one of them and stick with it. Or, you know, maybe it's Jenna Kutcher or somebody pick one and go through their stuff. And then after that, you'll have some good ideas on how to create your business. But if you don't have a ton of money to invest and you only have, you know, say you've got three grand, well, you'd be better off taking that three grand, investing it into an actual website, an actual brand and selling something than you would be investing it into coaching. I think that's really, really good advice. Um, okay. So you mentioned a couple, you know, names we, a lot of us are familiar with. Um, and I think that people say no one likes a name dropper, but let's be real. I love a name dropper. I'm like, tell me who, you know, tell me who you worked <laughs> with. <laughs> and, um, tell us who you have worked with. And I, I would love for you to play, you know, that part in the wizard of Oz where like the curtain is pulled back. Cause I think sometimes we look at these big names and, and we just compare ourselves to them like, oh my gosh, they're so, they're so amazing. They're a star. How can I ever be like that? Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about who you know and what you know. <laughs> well, I can't really tell you, I can't pull the curtain back too much on some of these people, but I will tell you without mentioning the names of who these people are, I will tell you that there, I have worked with people online who sell themselves as seven figure coaches and things of that nature. But then when it, you know, they struggle, they, they don't pay their people. They're very disorganized. Um, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that you don't really see when you're, when you see these big names online, you do not see the army that is literally behind all of these people online. You know, you see them and their face and you see them doing webinars and things of that nature. And I'm not saying that they're not working hard and they don't have good ideas, but you, if you think that you alone can replicate the results of some of these, literally there's hundreds of people behind Marie Forleo. There's hundreds of people behind Amy. The, the, there's so many people, there's copywriters, there's video editors, there's content creators, there's marketers and social media experts. I mean, Expensive your, services that are yes. doing things in the back end of their websites and, and, and their email and things. Yes, absolutely. So all of that content con of that constant content creation, that's really the key right there. Because I think most people, when they're looking to start an online business, they instantly give into that overwhelm because they're doing what I call the compare and despair. And so they're looking at someone like Jenna Kutcher and they're thinking, oh, I really want to be her. I really want to have a business like this. But they're not recognizing the fact that she is at a place now where she is just basically able to put out all of that stuff because of all the people that she has around her and on her team. And if you're just starting out, you're just not going to have that. Totally. What would you say to someone who, okay, let, well, let's just use me because it's an easy example. I have this podcast. And what would you say to someone who maybe has a podcast or has a blog or a vlog or starting an online presence? And they're like, oh, you know, Jenna's already taken the spot or Rachel already has the top podcast or, you know, Marie has the killer weekly show. Like there's no room for me. What would you say to someone like that? Uh, that is actually an excellent question because I think everybody that does anything has that feeling. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's more pervasive online than it is in, in say a physical product launch or something of that nature. I think everybody has that moment when they say, why would anybody listen to me? Like what, why would I be, how could I be in just another voice in the crowd, right? Because other people are doing it. Therefore I should not even try. And I think without getting too woo on it, I think it's really important to take a step back and then look at yourself and your own experiences and to realize nobody else has lived this life that I have lived. But is there a way for me to tell my stories and to work with others where I am providing something of value? I mean, if it's just narcissism, right, and you just want to put yourself out there just to put yourself out there, then I'm not sure that you would be successful. But I think that if the approach is, this is something that I've learned, or this is something that I'm good at, and I can help people either learn it, or I can provide a service for them in some way. I think that that type of approach, no matter if there's 100,000 other people doing that same thing, it is still going to be unique to you, because it is essentially you. And there's nobody else that is you. So that's the differentiating factor. That's what makes your brand different from everybody else's brand. So you've got a podcast, a bunch of people have podcasts. I mean, okay, so why should anybody else ever try to launch a podcast, right? I'm a graphic designer. There's thousands of other graphic designers. Why would anybody hire me? Well, because my work is mine and it's different. And if you like it, then I'm the one for you, you know? unless you're selling something crazy. And I've had a lot of those that I've actually said, oh, I'm just not accepting new clients at this time. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe the idea is like the the mindset to really have if you're wanting to create your own space online is like, there is a seat at the table for me. There is room. Absolutely. And, And this is not for everyone. You know, not everybody wants this. You know, just, and I think that that's something interesting to keep in mind too. Because I, it's almost like everybody thinks, oh, everybody wants this. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to get online. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Everybody wants to launch an online course. That is not true. There are tons and tons of people who really just want a desk with their name on a plate. And they want to go to it every day. And then they just want to go home. Yes. <laughs> you know, they, love, they love the convenience. They love the reliability. You know, Freelancing is not for everyone. Navigating the booms and the busts and the times of lots of work and the times of no work and the the constant hustle, the constant, just all of it. It's just not for everyone. So you've got to keep that in mind too. You're not actually competing with as many people as you think you are. That is such a good point. I think sometimes when we get in, we get in our own head too much and we think, well, isn't everyone just like me, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's like the, the, the ultimate projection. <laughs> what do you think is an element that maybe people that are moving online or have a source of revenue online, what is something that's being overlooked right now? You know, it seems like everyone right now is having a course or starting a mastermind, but what do you think is something really practical or um, a, 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 an avenue of revenue that people are really overlooking and it's kind of right in front of them? I think really maximizing the notion of the economies of scale, right? Instead of focusing on large dollar items, 
focus more on selling smaller price items to more people. I think that that is a really good way to bring in, you know, fast income because it doesn't take a long time to create something that sells for $9 or $7. You know, I think there's a lot of buzz around the membership right now. Everybody wants a membership. Everyone wants to create membership community because there's this idea that it's just completely passive. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as passive income. Okay. Like let's just kill that myth right now. Even if it runs itself and it's automated, somebody somewhere is creating content for that. They are running the tech side of it. I mean, there, there are so many things that go into creating a thriving membership community. So I don't think, I feel feel like that is a lie that's being pushed a lot, but I would just recommend for people who are just getting started, create something small and try to sell it in a lot of different places. How much do you think it is good to kind of follow aesthetic trends and where should people truly just stand in their own and in what they like? Because for instance, right now, that, you know, imagine a mood board with Sedona, Arizona and succulent <laughs> plants and, you know, like warm terracotta colors and, and beiges or like a, a airy photo of a beach with, you know, little script fonts. It's like that is not me, but that is what is everywhere and very trendy right now. So right. when do you follow trends and when do you not? I don't think you ever follow trends. I think following trends is the worst possible way. It's the laziest way to find your brand. It is it is the ultimate in kind of that compare and despair thing I was talking about. And so many people, when they come to me, that is the first thing. I want a brand just like Jenna Kutcher's. I want a website just like Marie Forleo's. And it's like, well, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. You know, hold, hold up a minute on that. but. No, I mean, look, you should always, it should, the brand should be you always. It shouldn't be a sort of cheap knockoff replica of somebody else that is online doing their own thing. You know, it just needs to represent you. I mean, if it's wild and, you know, bright and crazy and all of those, I mean, it it just needs to represent your personality because like what a good website and brand does is that in those 12 seconds that you have to capture someone's attention, it grabs them instantly. Whatever it is that you're doing online, it's not for everyone. Okay. Everyone is not going to want to work with you and you're not going to want to work with them either. So what you have to do is you have to set up a place where someone comes and it instantly resonates with the people that you actually want. And the people that you don't want and don't want you, who cares about them? Let them go find somebody else. But the people who are out there looking for you that don't even know that they're looking for you, that's what the website is supposed to do. It's supposed to give them a place to find you and then instantly connect. That is great advice. So great advice. All right, Jessica, I've worked with you. You are incredible. If anyone has uh, received any of my eBooks in on my um, email list or through this show, Jessica has created them. You are truly an artist with your graphic design. And I want people to know like how they can work with you and what you have coming up. Oh gosh. Well, yeah. Uh, Jessica 
and I'm about ready to launch my very first digital product. It is not a coaching product. (laughs) (laughs) So it is an actual thing. You can actually buy it and it is a thing. So if you are just starting out, I am about ready to launch the branding bar where I will have seven pre-made brands. They're all inspired by cocktails. Um, So that's why it's called that, the branding bar. And you can go in there and browse around and you can grab one straight off the shelf and you can just use, you can use Canva. You can use any type of online design tool that is free to put your own name in there. So you'll get everything you need, like fonts, you'll get custom photography, you'll get the color palette, you'll get everything that you need to create a really gorgeous look online. And I think that that is so important that people are able to just kind of create this look. Even if you're using ClickFunnels, if you're using lead pages, no matter what you're using, you need to have some type of an aesthetic look. And then you're really going to be able to charge more for your own services because your stuff is going to look custom and people are going to land on it and be wowed. So it's going to give you all of those pieces that you need to put that together. All right, Jessica, this has been so awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. I do want to ask you a couple uh, last questions. Okay. (laughs) What are you reading now or listening to or fill in the blank that's inspiring you or that you're really digging? Okay, I am reading Chasing the Moon. And I have also been reading um, Atomic Habits. Oh, very good. I've not read either of those. Well, one's more of a historical recount of our of how we got to the moon and you know how that was such a great not just an achievement for science, but how it was a great grand plan, right? That was so wild and extravagant. And so it's very inspirational. All right, Jessica, I know you use essential oils. What is your favorite essential oil right now? I love the Magnolia roll-on and I love frankincense. Ooh, how do you use it? I put one drop in my evening moisturizer and then I've also been using it like to stave off migraines because I am a chronic migraine sufferer and um, I've really had some good success just trying to use that. Right on, right on. You put it on the roof of your mouth? Yes. Very good. Yeah, you kind of have to like almost gag yourself with it. It totally takes the edge off though. Well, I mean, that's what I was told to do and I'm very obedient. Awesome. All right. And the final question that I ask almost all of my guests, if you could go back in time and tell something to your younger self, what would you tell her? Um, well, just like we had talked about before that it's just, it's not too late. And I think that there's always, a there's always another chance. And I think, that's really important for everybody to keep in mind when they're thinking about either getting online or starting another career, even if they're just thinking about getting into shape or just doing anything, it's not too late. And as long as you're still here, you've still got a chance. Oh, that is such a good word. I think a lot of people need to hear that. I know I need to hear that, right? Like it's not too late. You didn't start too late. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. There's no such thing as too late. And every experience that you take with you into your next phase is just one that you can learn to be better. Thank you, Jessica, for being on the show today. You're so welcome. 
listen, if you are thinking that you want to get online in some way, I hope you will check out the links in the show notes for Jessica's branding bar. Everything she puts out is such amazing quality and always beautiful. All right, that's all I have for today. Be sure to tune in next week. Click that subscribe button. Go out, make this week matter. Believe in your dreams because I believe in you. Bye-bye.